Rinkwide Vancouver. Like three games in one, a wildly entertaining night at Rogers Arena, and the Vancouver Canucks pull out a 6-4 victory over the Toronto Maple Leafs. Lots to talk about, and that's what we'll do on this episode of Rinkwide. It's brought to you by Betway. Jeff Patterson joined once again by Harmon Dial of The Athletic and Canucks Conversation and Harm. Uh, I don't even know where to begin on a night like tonight, but I guess the bottom line is it wasn't always pretty, but the Vancouver Canucks just continue to find ways to manufacture victories. A slow, sleepy win over Arizona the other night, and this was anything but, but uh, it is two more points in the bank for the Canucks. Yeah, I was expecting a higher vent type of game just because the Leafs are, I mean, they have that top-end scoring talent, but they're also quite leaky defensively and they don't, they don't have the best goaltending. But the script was a little bit different in terms of Vancouver's difference makers offensively. Of course, the top-end talent came through on the last couple power play goals, but for the Canucks to get four goals from the bottom six, I mean, immediately setting the tone in the first period, especially on, on a night where the lotto line just didn't have it at all at five-on-five. For Nils Hoaglander to start with two, with two goals, Connor Garland to have a pair of goals, especially the crucial one, I, I think, is in the second period to sort of get the momentum back, restore the Canucks' 4-3 lead after the Leafs had grabbed a lot of momentum there. It was an absolute barn burner, and I feel like everybody in that building, well, outside of the Leafs fans, definitely got their money's worth. Oh, I think they got their money's worth. Yeah, the team that they wanted to win didn't win, but but only one team can come out on top. And as you said, like, you know, the star power that was there as well. I mean, nine guys going to the All-Star game, playing in this game, eight of them out there for the opening face-off. Willie Nylander was the only guy where was Sheldon Keefe's sense of occasion. He could have had all of the All-Stars this year out there for the opening draw. It wasn't to be. William Nylander was certainly heard from as this game went along. But yeah, let's start with two of the smaller Vancouver Canucks. In fact, their two smallest forwards came up huge for them. Nils Hoaglander, and it feels like a lifetime ago now as we look back at everything that unfolded, but that shift that led to the first goal was incredible. I mean, really one of the first, one of the best shifts we've seen from the Vancouver Canucks all season long. Absolutely pinned the Leafs in their own zone, got a line change in, just continued to work the puck to the front of the net. Uh, Philip Ronick shot that uh, probably should have been swallowed up by Martin Jones, but he had some trouble with it. And all he could do was kind of poke it aside and that kept the play alive and eventually worked its way to the front of the net. And there was Nils Hoaglander on the backhand, his 13th of the season. And three minutes later, he goes short side, after uh, some good work down low again by the Vancouver Canucks and Hoaglander with two goals to sort of set the tone for this game. But what about that shift that led to the opening goal? Yeah, I mean, it was a great day to be a sub-six-foot Vancouver Canuck <laughs> because Hoaglander, Garland, and even on that first shift, Quinn Hughes, the way he was dancing all over the offensive zone, total, utter control. And if you want one shift that encapsulates how the Canucks create offense when they're at their best, it's exactly that shift on the opening goal because the Canucks aren't a team. Yes, they have scored um, rush goals this year. And when you break down scoring chance types, and we've seen some of the sport logic data, the Canucks aren't a high volume creating chances off the rush team. Where they pummel opponents is off the forecheck, down low, cycling pucks, rebounds, second chance opportunities, screens. And that was the type of chaos that the Canucks were able to create on that opening goal, I mean, how many battles did the fourth line forwards win on that shift? Toronto couldn't get the puck out. 
you could see consistently how many times the puck went from low to high and Martin Jones just didn't have a sight line. Uh, there was just so many bodies in front. That's a big difference I noticed in the first period. It changed a little bit. Leafs got better at it in the second and, and third periods. But in the first period, it was so noticeable that Martin Jones had an obscene amount of traffic that he was dealing with. Whereas Thatcher Demko, the shots from distance he was facing, it felt like he had a really clear sight line on. And of course, for Hoaglander to fight through that check, beating out Mark Giordano, who is one of the most competitive defensemen in the NHL, even though he is also the oldest defenseman in the NHL. I think it just speaks to the evolution in Hoaglander's game. He's always had that feistness, always had that edge, but I think he's learned and evolved in in the sense that when Hoaglander played under Boudreau, I think he spent a lot of his time making moves on the outside, on the perimeter. You didn't see him as effective as an off-puck presence in the slot and in the dirty areas as he is today because he's had so many goals, whether it's been rebounds, tips, deflections. That's been his MO for how he's generated offense is doing it the hard-working, dirty way. So Hoaglander gets the first two, and the second one, some great work by Garland in a battle with Jake McCabe to get the puck, free it up. Uh, Amon obviously gets it Hoaglander, and you know the quick shot that seemed to surprise Martin Jones and then the Canucks make it 3 nothing on Connor Garland's first of two. Three goals on nine shots. And I wasn't sure that Martin Jones, the North Van native, was going to get out of the first period. Although I don't think the Leafs liked the options behind him, obviously, in the season that Ilya Samsonov has had in goal. And they're playing back-to-back in Seattle. So Jones stayed in and did last the night, although uh, his night got tougher again in third period. But Connor Garland with the quick shot. And the celebration, we got to talk about the celebration. Uh, All of a sudden, he's found his scoring touch, and it seemed to arrive in St. Louis at the start of the road trip, and he scored the wraparound goal in New Jersey, scored in Columbus the other night, and here on home ice now. So he's up to seven, and again, it's a modest total, but I love the celebration, putting the stick and the twirl and big arm pump as well. Uh, You know, he's an excitable guy, and that's the energy that he brings to this mix here. And you're right, the second goal of the night was the more important goal because uh, the Canucks were sagging. They were reeling after the Leafs had tied it, and Rictocket had to call his timeout. But Connor Garland's been fun to watch. You know, when he scored that goal, Harm, I had to go to the game notes. We know, and we've talked about the third line, and, I mean, they are the second line in terms of production for the Vancouver Canucks. To this point now, the Canucks have got a goal. At least one goal from one member of that line in 12 of the last 17 hockey games. Like, you talk about consistency. Like, that's top-line consistency. 12 of the last 17, either Garland, Bluger, or Joshua. And on some nights, it's been a combination of those guys. But one of them has scored in 12 of the last 17 hockey games. It's really unbelievable. And and who would have thought that I mean, before the season that you think in that sort of uh, mismatch of you know strange fits in terms of Joshua, Bluger, and Garland. I mean, if you put that line together in preseason or training camp, I would have never thought, oh man, what a great li- line combination. That's going to be one of the best third lines of the NHL. No way did I see that coming. And on Garland's first goal, I also loved how well that line broke the puck out of the zone. And this is where Garland, you want to talk about why he consistently drives such strong possession numbers. You'll notice time and time again, when the Canucks have the puck in the defensive zone and and he's on the ice, as soon as he gets the puck, even if he's in a pressure situation, he has a level of poise and composure with the puck. He has a sort of quickness and elusiveness to skate it up. 
And the Canucks don't have a lot of wingers that can push the puck up the ice, be a sort of transporter. And what I also love is how well Joshua and Bluger read off of Garland, where Garland was carrying it and then Joshua slashing really hard diagonally. And what was, you know, an even manned rush that didn't look very dangerous. Garland was able to see Joshua slashing to an open area. They win some battles and that's really the origination of, of how they create their offenses. A safe breakout with possession, dump it in, and then whether it's Joshua, Bluger, Garland, they all just stab at the puck so effectively. They, they hound it. They're relentless. Uh, and now that they're in the slot, they're converting a lot of the chances that when they were first united as a line, they maybe weren't converting. Well, it was an eventful night for Connor Garland because he scores twice. He was on the ice for five of the first seven goals in this hockey game. And as good as that line's been and as good as Garland has been, look, we break this thing down and look at everything that happens in a hockey game. He had to do a better job on Jake McCabe on the 3-2 goal that came a couple of minutes after the William Nylander floater from the left point, and Thatcher Demko may have lost it, uh, you know, black puck and wearing the black jerseys. Uh, Tyler Myers kind of waved at it. Maybe I'm giving Demko an out here. It didn't look good, and it kind of reminded me of some of the goals that got in in New Jersey a couple of Saturdays ago. But then there was the other Nylander goal as well. I think it tipped off Carson Soucy, and you can see Soucy's reaction, so maybe I cut a little bit of slack there for Thatcher Demko, whatever the case. I mean, at 3 nothing, it looked like it was going to be a laugher, and you're wondering how quickly could they make it 4 and 5 nothing. And before the midway mark of that second period, all of a sudden it's 3-3, like a, just a stunning turn of events. And that got uh, the Leaf fans that were down and sitting on their hands. They were right back into it. Obviously, their hockey club is into it. Rick Tockett's got to call his timeout. And then a couple of moments after that, Tyler Bertuzzi puts the puck in the net. But... Upon review, I mean, it was pretty obvious as he was uh, kneeling in the crease there, kicked it in, and and so no goal. But, you know, that close to it being 4-3 for the Toronto Maple Leafs, but they never would get the lead in this hockey game. They tied it at 3, they tied it at 4, and then, as you said, uh, Canucks power play wins them a game. And that's something that the power play just hasn't been doing much of of late. But two power play goals in the same game for the first time since late November. Got to go back to a game that they actually lost against the San Jose Sharks at the Tank. But they did strike twice with man advantage then. Then it's, it's it's really just been singleton since then and opportunities that have gone awry. But we've seen some signs of life from the power play. Patterson scored uh, the one-timer the other night against Arizona. And here, you're right, after a night where a lot of line at 5-on-5 five five did not have it and they weren't alone, they're still difference makers for this hockey club. And they come through ultimately in a four-all tie after, you know, the power play gives up the shorthanded goal, it kind of felt like if ever there was need to redeem itself. And sure enough, Miller off his skate at the side of the net. And three minutes after that, uh, Elias Pettersson with the dagger. And so two power play goals puts this thing away. 6-4, the final score. The Canucks improved to 31-11-4 on the season now. You add that up, that is 66 points with three games still to go before the All-Star break. They're 7-1-1 in their last nine hockey games and this is, I know we do a stat that stands out, and this one certainly would qualify. We've got another one that we'll do later in the in the podcast here, but two outright losses harm in the last 20 hockey games. Like that, that, that's just ridiculous. Like that doesn't make any sense, but they're 15-2-3 in their last 20 times out. That's crazy. And, and when you go back to that, you know, moment where the power play started, um, of course, the first shorthanded goal, Leafs tied up, of course, Canucks score a couple on the man advantage, but also I want to quickly shout out Andre Kuzmenko's work 
in the first 10 minutes or so of that third period. Of course, didn't play a shift in the third period the other night uh, against Arizona. And yet that 10 minutes, 10 minute stretch against uh, the Leafs draws one penalty, set up a glorious chance for Pia Suter off the rush pretty early. That <laughs> The setup was um, great. The shot, not so much there. It, it's hard to get assists if a guy's going to miss the net by 15 feet like, like Pia Suter did. But but you're right. Uh, your point stands that uh, some good work by Kuzmenko. Even later, he was twisting and turning down low in the offensive zone. And that line, again, sort of drew a penalty that put the Canucks back on the power play, which I think it was then the fifth goal the eventual game win- winner that Miller's got off his foot um, from Hughes. And that's just an unbelievable play by Quinn where we've spoken about his shot first mentality this year and wanting to pepper more pucks on net. But it speaks to his vision and his IQ that even though this guy's in a mode where he's looking for that shot, he is also still looking for that pass because that was a clear shot pass. He was trying to pinball it in off uh, off Miller and of course it hit Giordano first but just just a heads up play to make that diagonal play on the back door that's a really really tough save for a goaltender to make when it's on the back door like that and then of course the Canucks finding the back door again on Pedersen's goal the broadcast showed it what a sneaky play by Pedersen to get lost in terms of the route that he took to the backside around the net to make sure that he got lost, wasn't uh, picked up by the Leafs' defensive coverage, and that Martin Jones didn't really notice him there either. Because, look, if Pedersen had simply cut across through the top of the crease, Jones is seeing that, and he's probably better equipped to stopping it, especially because the Canucks scored a pretty similar goal just moments earlier. So that's a sneaky high IQ play from Pedersen to seal the deal. Yeah, and then let's just go back even further on that play. I loved the long bomb home run entry. You know, so often you see the drop pass in the neutral zone, same old, same old, but I think it's great to mix it up from time to time. And I think it was Besser that saw JT Miller streaking and just fires at the length of the ice. And, you know, Miller gets there. Martin Jones pokes the puck to the corner again. And then it's sort of game on from there. And Miller makes the pass back to Hughes. Back to Miller, and then uh, he spots Patterson. So you're right, in zone was cool, but I, I love the zone entry and just the fact that there was some variety there and switched it up, and I think it caught the Leafs off guard a little bit. Yeah, and I think early in the season, when you look at why the Canucks' power play was so dynamite, of course, before their you know more, more recent struggles the last two months, if you want to call it, uh, a big part of it was the variety. The fact that you couldn't pre-scout the Canucks' power play and whether it was in zone or the way they would they would enter offensively and get set up. There wasn't one play that they routinely kept spamming. That bank pass off the end boards is something that they've had um, in their arsenal for the entire season. I, I think even going all the way back to one of the goals that they scored in the 10-1 romp of San Jose, I think was an end pass for, banked off the end boards there. So it's important to have little tricks like that because the Leafs power play, for example, their entries, on the other hand, and I'm sure we'll talk about the Canucks penalty kill later uh, on the show, their power play entries were too predictable. And you could see the four, the Canucks forecheck was really able to stay compact. They weren't caught off guard by anything the Leafs were doing. And I think it's a testament to Rick Tockett having some variety in the way that he wants uh, this power play to uh, to enter the zone and get set up. I don't want to gloss over it. I mean, we mentioned the fact that Nylander had a pair and, and McCabe sandwiched in between. I mean, what did you make of that eight-minute stretch there where, 
you know, the Canucks in full control to start the period. And that comeback really comes out of nowhere. And you're starting to think, like, for all the good that this hockey club has done this year, you, you wanted to believe that sort of they had matured beyond that sort of letdown. What did you make of that stretch and where do you think it came from? Yeah, I, I think it's tough because when you go up 3 nothing, it doesn't matter how much you try and emphasize that you want to play the exact same way you did to get the lead. It's just human nature, and it happens even to some of the best teams in the NHL where you let your foot off the gas a little bit. You're not going to have quite the same level of aggressiveness on the forecheck, for example. And I think that was really what stood out about the first 10 minutes of the second period was you never saw them able to stack those high-pressure, relentless forechecking shifts that allowed them to spend time in the offensive zone wearing the Leafs down. It felt like the Canucks were on their heels and... Even though score effects does play into it, I still don't like how lopsided the shot totals were. Of course, you expected the Leafs to push. You expected them to probably outshoot and outchance Vancouver when they're the team that's trailing to be nothing. But it shouldn't happen to that wide of a, of a margin. And yet, on the other side of the coin, you could also argue that a couple of the goals that Toronto uh, got in that stretch were a little fluky, right? Nylander from distance... Demko was screened by Myers there. That's not usually the type of uh, shot that ends up as a goal from that type of location. The McCabe rush goal was a legit breakdown. Like, that shouldn't be happening. That was a sweet, sweet pass by Marner, though. Like, uh, credit where it's due. Like, that's an incredible against-the-grain pass. But you're right. Uh, Canucks have to defend that one a little bit better. Yeah, and I think one of the issues defensively I noticed when they grabbed the 3 nothing lead in not just at the start of the second period, but for the last handful of minutes of the first period too, it felt like the Leafs had a bit too much space uh, off entries near the tops of the offensive zone, whether it was Nylander, Marner, uh, Matthews, those, those types of guys had space at, or around the tops of the face-off circles to snap it around a little bit. I didn't like the Canucks gap control defending the, the blue line. So that's an area that I think you also saw on that uh, McCabe rush goal because too much space for Matthews and Marner on that zone entry, I thought. But then again, the Nylander rush goal, the third one, was, again, a little fluky. Actually, Demko is normally not beat from that distance. The puck deflected off Susie. Like, I'm torn, right? Because on the one <laughs> hand, I'm like, I don't love the way they played at all after going up 3 nothing. But on the other hand, they had bounces go against them. And the most important part, I thought, was the Canucks scoring again to make it 4-3 going into the third period because we know how locked down they've been. 28-0-1 now leading after the second period. If this was a 3-3 game going into the third period, I, th I think it would have been a lot more disappointing than uh, a scenario where Garland scores and um, now the momentum's back on your side and you have a lead going into the third period. Well, on that 4-3 goal, and it was huge because, uh, again, it's now a 3-all tie at the 8-19 mark of that second period. So there's still a ton of time to go. All of the momentum on Toronto's side. Rick Tockett calls his timeout, I think, just trying to settle things down and allow his team a, a chance to, to breathe a little bit. And then, you know, back and forth uh, the remainder of that period, and it looks like maybe they'll go to the third in a 3-all tie. And then Nikita Zadorov, of all guys, waltzes down the left wing, carries the puck into the zone around behind the net. They start to work it around, gets it back to Heronic as they are in the middle of a change. Heronic with a shot. I thought Suter at the side of the net had a chance. 
And the Canucks were able to stack some shifts there. And ultimately, the pressure and Garland out of the corner, kind of up and over Martin Jones. But Matthew Nye's a two-minute and four-second shift for the Leafs. And he wasn't alone, but uh, of the guys that were on the ice, he was out there the long two minutes and four seconds. Like That's a long time to be defending. And so the Canucks did well uh, to get the change in. Ultimately, Connor Garland out of the corner comes out with his second goal of the night, eighth of the season. So eight for number eight. And I'm with you. Even though the Leafs did tie the game, that one just felt huge because we know the Canucks record when they go to the third period. You know, we've seen them bend a little bit here. Pittsburgh came back on them. Columbus came back on them. The Leafs ultimately able to tie this one up. But then we said the power play, the difference maker that it had to be. It is interesting, though, and and I don't know if this is reflective of the way opponents are playing the Canucks, if this is, you know, just partial to the dog days of the season but this is five straight one-goal games now for the Vancouver Canucks at some point in the third period. So, you know, I think we're seeing teams are starting to play them a little more physically now, which I'm sure Rick Tockett doesn't mind because uh, loves to, you know, meet pressure with pressure and sort of battle-tested and all of those types of things. But when it looked like they were going to blow the Leafs out, ultimately this turned out to be another tight game that the Vancouver Canucks found a way to win. Yeah, it was a back and forth sort of seesaw performance. And yeah, the the recent games they've played have been closer. But I'll say this, the Arizona game, for example, even though that's only a 2-1 win and you might look at it as, oh, that's, you know, really hard fought game. I looked at that type of game on Thursday and went to myself, that's a playoff style win in the sense that they gave the Coyotes almost nothing defensively Thatcher Demko didn't have to make many high danger saves at all the way the Canucks came out in the first period totally dominated were probably unlucky I thought uh, for Arizona to even uh, tie the game up late in the first period there that versatility I think matters because we've seen the Canucks on the last road trip for example that the types of um, high scoring affairs they had against New Jersey and and the Rangers were and, and even tonight where it feels like they're the Globetrotters, yeah, it's nice to be able to have those types of wins, but in the playoffs, you're not going to have as much open ice. So on Thursday, I thought, yeah, it's a closer hockey game on paper, but it was professional, it was mature, and it's the type of win that if they're going to have success beyond the regular season, they're going to have to be able to put together that type of performance where they can clamp it down defensively. I do think it was really important for the Canucks' top players to make a mark at the end. They had to be the difference makers against against Toronto in the power play because otherwise you would have looked back at this game and if they had you know lost in overtime or, or even in regulation, who knows, you, you would have looked at it and gone, got four goals from the bottom six. I thought the blue line for the most part held up pretty well. Really, there, there would have been no one to blame but your players at the top of the lineup. And at 5-on-5, five five, it really was a struggle for the Lotto one because you look at the numbers with JT Miller on the ice, for instance, him sort of being the proxy for that trio, shots were 13-3 in favor of the Leafs and high danger chances were 6 nothing. They had their lunch absolutely fed to them. And especially after they allowed the shorthanded goal, like that's especially where you're, where you're like, you can't single-handedly cost your teammates uh, the game. And so important for them to swing the game back in Vancouver's favor at the end. Two sides to the special teams equation, and you mentioned you wanted to talk about penalty kill. We certainly will get there. 
Uh, we'll get to some listener feedback as well. The stat that stands out, a preview of what's to come, the remainder of the homestand here. And of course, we'll get some player and coach reaction. But right now, it's time for our Betway Bet of the Day. And with the Vancouver Canucks picking up their 31st victory and moving back in front of the Winnipeg Jets, who edged Ottawa earlier on Hockey Day in Canada in overtime, for a brief while there, the Jets and the Canucks were tied, but the Canucks surged back into top spot with 66 points. And so you look at the Jack Adams odds right now, and Rick Tockett is the clear-cut front runner, and it's hard to argue. Uh, the guy behind the bench in Winnipeg, Rick Bonus, a former assistant here in Vancouver, he is the closest competition, and really it does appear to be a two-horse race, according to Betway. You can get Tockett right now at 220, Bones in Winnipeg at 425, and John Tortorella, so three guys with ties to the Vancouver Canuck organization. And Torts has done a terrific job with the Philadelphia Flyers, no question. But uh, according to Betway, he is a distant third in this race right now at an even seven on the board. So there you go. Those are your odds on the Coach of the Year sweepstakes. Must be 19-plus to play. Please play responsibly. Uh, the Canucks played responsibly at times, although a little loose there in the second period. But, hey, a win is a win. Another one in the bank. They are now 16-4-1 at home. I know we throw all these numbers at you because they are just incredible. And we still have more stats that stand out as the night rolls along here. 6-4, the Vancouver Canucks defeat the Toronto Maple Leafs on a fun night at Rogers Arena. You're listening to Rinkwide Vancouver, and it's brought to you by Betway. Canucks beat the Leafs 6-4. It's Jeff and Harm with you here. Hoaglander a pair, Garland a pair, Miller and Pedersen the goal scores. Not a great night for Thatcher Demko, but uh, he does pick up yet another victory, as uh, do the Vancouver Canucks. I'm going to hear from Demko in a sec. I'm going to hear from Quinn Hughes and Connor Garland, but we'll go with the coach first. We always like to get Rick Tockett's take on any Canuck game, but particularly a wild one like this one. So uh, this was Rick talking as he breaks down a 6-4 victory. Yeah, great first. I mean, as good as you can get. Uh, second, we weren't connected. Leafs are a good team. They started coming to us, and I thought we were spread out. Um, we're chasing the puck a little bit. And then uh, third period, obviously, the power play was big. Um, I thought a key moment after Marner made that, uh, you know, great shorthanded goal, um, I like the, the I like the calmness of Millsy. They said, "Okay, we got it, we got it," and they got it. So uh, there wasn't a lot of panic. So I give them a lot of credit for not getting pissed off uh, and then getting frustrated. Yeah, and Harm, you mentioned it uh, in that opening segment. Like, if the Canucks lose this game, absolutely, we're pointing fingers at the top of the top of the lineup. So you hear the coach there, like he liked the fact that after they give up the shorty, that it is that same group and they show some resiliency. And I think they took some ownership of this game and were like all right, here's the opportunity, and they put the hammer down. I also like uh, Tockett mentioning that Miller was able to sort of keep the group calm and, and make sure that emotionally they, they didn't get frustrated or, or spiral, especially because we've seen at earlier points in um, Miller's tenure that he is the type of player that sometimes when things start going against him that he's he sometimes double, doubles down on his mistakes or he loses the clarity. Certainly we saw that during the Bruce Boudreau era last season with this team having so much success this year I think he's been in a better frame of mind there's been a lot less frustration even when things start turning against them and I love that he's a leader in that moment able to keep things calm and then of course it's it's him getting open I think it speaks to part of the maturity we've seen with this core as a whole right even with uh, the likes of 
Pedersen and Hughes, Besser, just maturing in different ways, I, I think, with, with each player. With Hughes over the last couple of years, it's of course been with his defensive game and and then even this season taking it to another level where he's not just a Norris caliber defenseman, but probably a top five player in the NHL. And Pedersen, we've seen different evolution. I thought even though he didn't play well and, and the line as a whole didn't play well, we certainly saw him really physical tonight. Um, so for them to bounce back in that uh, moment was was instrumental. It was huge. They needed that. Well, speaking of instrumental, we both agreed that the 4-3 goal was was big, even though the Leafs did tie it at four. It just felt like the Canucks needed something to happen, and, and Connor Garland was the guy as he's been here of late, providing that spark his second of the night. Here was Garland talking about the big goal late in that second period. You know, I felt pretty bad. The second goal was, you know, I felt my stick breaks so when I'm trying to cover the guy, so... Tough bounce, and I was hoping to get a chance to get us one back. So that felt good to, you know, respond. And, uh, you know, I think the most important thing was our power play responding after kind of giving one up. You know, you see a lot of, a lot of guys kind of folded there, but for them to go out and bury two says a lot about, uh, you know, what type of players, you know, they are. So that's, uh, those are some big time goals by those guys. So Garland talks about the power play at the end there, but I thought uh, right off the top, interesting, talked about a broken stick trying to defend Jake McCabe. We said he had to do a better job. Well, if the stick was broken, and you know, that's information that we didn't have in real time. So uh, just a, a little piece of the puzzle that helps us fill in some of the details there. Connor Garland finds a way to atone for what is a rare mistake, uh, certainly in the last six or eight weeks for him and his line mates, and uh, turned out to be a, a big night. Little spoiler alert, uh, we'll get to the three stars here in a moment. But uh, let's carry on with a little bit of uh, reaction as well. Uh, Quinn Hughes, the captain, just uh, asked for sort of an overview of the various ways. We talked about all these one-goal games that they've been playing in, a one nothing win in Buffalo last Saturday, you know, a 6-4 win in this one. Uh, so lots going on for the Vancouver Canucks, but they are finding different ways ultimately to win hockey games these days. Here's Quinn Hughes after the win over the Leafs. Um... I mean, like you said right there, it's another win. Last game we went 2-1, found a way to tighten it up. This game, our power play found a way, and I think that, you know, I told you guys earlier, we can win games 2-1, and we won't need the power play in other games where hopefully we can make an impact. I feel like tonight we made an impact. But as a whole, I mean, contributions from every line. You see Hogs and Gunnis going there, and then the Garland line was, um, you know, arguably our best line again, and then, you know, Petey and Millsy on the power play. So big win for us, and yeah. So there you go, the captain, uh, Pointing out what everybody knows now, that third line has just been so important to uh, spread scoring. But ultimately, uh, it is the the power play guys that come through at the end. And the Canucks win this one against the Leafs. And Thatcher Demko made 51 saves against Toronto a couple of years ago at home in a 3-2 victory. Uh, I think uh, that was when Bruce Boudreaux was uh, still coaching. And so uh, something about Demko. I mean, as a goaltender, you know you're going to be busy. Austin Matthews is on the other side and and certainly the firepower. Morgan Riley had 10 shots, by the way, in this hockey game. Austin Matthews had 7, 13 attempts. Look, Austin Matthews may score 70 this year, Herm, but uh, he's not going to score any against the Canucks. They held him off the score sheet in Toronto. He does pick up an assist on well, the McCabe goal, the second assist. You know, there were opportunities. Rank went off the, the post late in the hockey game, but ultimately Thatcher Demko gets the better of Austin Matthews at the very least. No goals against the Canucks in the two games this year. But here was Demko on a strange night for him and a strange night of 60 minutes of hockey at Rogers Arena. Yeah, I mean, I thought we, we came out really well in the first. And, um, you know, I, I, I made a mistake on their first goal, obviously, and kind of started an avalanche there. And, um, you know, they scored two and then another weird bounce off of our own guy. And, you know, I got some good players. I just heard Quinn say that. And, um, you know, they're going to take advantage of opportunity. And, 
you know, I was just really thrilled with, uh, you know, the way that we were able to stick with it. And, uh, you know, probably the last couple of years, that would be something that may, might deflate us. And, you know, we might not have the, the ability to come back and win that game. So uh, I'm really proud of the group. And, you know, sometimes it takes a full 16, and it did tonight. So he cops to a mistake on the first one. Fair enough. Uh, you know, I'm glad to hear that. Uh, goalies always think that they, you know, should stop everything that comes their way. But I, I thought the tell in that quote, Harm, was, and he's not wrong. I mean, in past years, if the Leafs come roaring back at three all, they're probably getting the next one or two. And we've seen Canucks team sag. And obviously early in last season, blown leads was uh, part of who the Vancouver Canucks were. That hasn't been the case this year. And again, Toronto chipped away. They tied it at three. They tied it at four, but they never had a lead in this hockey game. And ultimately the Canucks will win it. Not Damko's best night, certainly, but you know, even when he's not at his best, He's 12-1-1 in his last 14 starts. Yeah, and just two points I wanted to make. First, Demko, of course, referencing Canucks' ability to bounce back after Leafs made it 3-all. The big difference this year compared to seasons past is that it feels like the Canucks actually have an identity an identity that they can fall back on, where when things are going totally wrong, Tockett can, of course, call that timeout. And I'm guessing that he probably told them to just get back to their fundamentals, which is what? It's getting in on the forecheck. It's making sure that they're not turning any pucks over, staying well-connected on breakouts, winning battles all over the ice. They're a a forecheck team. And it's not as if they were a high-shot creation team or a high-scoring chance generation team. And they were really loosey defensively. So in that moment... Let's say it's they're in the same spot last year. Boudreaux's calling timeout. Like, sure, they they he can tell them to play harder, and <laughs> we can't turn the puck over here. But there's like, what what are the fundamentals? What's the structure? What's the core identity that you need to get back to? And I think the first period, um, the the type of performance the Canucks had there is a perfect sort of encapsulation of what they look like when they're at their best. And in relation to Demko. I thought he was massive towards the last eight minutes or so uh, when the Leafs you know, had a couple power plays, had the rare six on three. It seemed like he was able to start absorbing pucks, make sure there weren't any rebounds because especially in those situations when Canucks are short, they're, they're probably not going to win a lot of, of scramble and, and loose pucks around the net. So that's where Demko... I, I thought started looking more comfortable and made some really, really important saves because typically we've seen when the Canucks are closing out games in the third period that they don't even give up a lot of scoring chances towards the last eight minutes or so because of the heroic penalty, because of the Hughes penalty um, and, and having to be shorthanded, they did give up some looks. And even though it was probably an off night overall for Demko, um, he made the important saves when he had to. Well, let's get to the Rinkwide Vancouver three-star selection. The three stars in the building is selected by Hockey Night in Canada, Garland, Nylander, and Hoaglander. Uh, I'm going to take those three, but I'm going to flip two and three. I, I'll, I'll give the two Canucks the, the top two spots. Connor Garland with two goals and a helper, and he was buzzing. So we said, he's up to eight goals on the season now, and that line, it just the lifeline when the Canucks sort of need something going, they just continue to come through. So I thought uh, a really good night for for Connor Garland, and you know, he's up to eight. Again, you'd like a few more, but with this run of goals that he's had here the last uh, six or eight games, you know, you could see him getting to 15, especially the way that this line is playing, and if he gets to 15, 
again, I mean, I think every year you come in, you think, well, he's been to 20 in, in the NHL in Arizona. Uh, he hasn't been a 20-goal scorer for the Vancouver Canucks, but uh, I don't think people are going to get too hung up on the goal total. Ultimately, if he continues to play hard, chip away, and do the things that he does. So first-star honors for Connor Garland, Nils Hoaglander, uh, up to 14 goals in the season. It's a career high for him. They're all at even strength. And I had to look, Harm, there are only two other players in the National Hockey League with 14 or more goals, none of them coming on the power play. And so it is a select group. Nikolai Ehlers and Tyler Sagan are the other two. And those guys play a whole lot more than Hoaglander. They all get power play time or they both get power play time. They just haven't cashed in there. So a remarkable accomplishment for Nils Hoaglander. And it does beg the question, when's he going to get some power play time here? He got the tail end of one of the power plays, but it essentially was out there with the fourth line guys. But like he's now fourth on this team in goal scoring. Like I, I still don't understand why Rick Tockett refuses to put him as part of the second power play unit. Yeah, I'd like to see him definitely on the power play as well. I don't need to see a lot of Sam Lafferty out there. He is effective <laughs> as Lafferty has been overall this season. Um, Hoaglander definitely has more offensive touch. In my mind, to try and understand it from the coaching staff's perspective, even though I don't agree, I think they look at Hoaglander and go, well, the way he generates offense is off the forecheck. It's down low. It's off the cycle. Well, that's not really how you create offense on the power play. Um, if you're going to use somebody like Hoaglander and to be a power play forward to have success in general, you typically need to either have elite shooting ability from the flanks, elite passing ability from the flanks in, in more of a standstill type position. Or you need to be good in and around sort of the net front um, area screens and, and that sort of thing. And, you know, maybe they look at Hoaglander and go, well, he doesn't have the best shot from a distance. Most of his offense is off the forecheck and off the cycle, which isn't necessarily going to translate to power play success. Um, I'd still like to see him out there, though, because the level of even speed on zone entries when the second unit hops on the ice, I think that puck transportation ability is a useful asset for helping them um, get set up. And even if you have him around the net front area, I know he's not the biggest guy, but um, how good he's been on deflections and screens, rebounds, like they, they, I still think they need to find a way to get him on the second unit power play. And I think it's just a, a nod. It's a, a bit of a, a reward, a little shine for him just for the work that he's done here to gain the confidence of the coach. And maybe his reward was playing late the other night against Arizona. And that showed, you know, the trust that the coach has in him. Whatever the case, without power play time, uh, Nils Hoaglander is having his best season in the National Hockey League. And there's still 35 games to go. And William Nylander, all he does is score. He's up to 23 on the season. He leads the Leafs in points on the air. He's going to be an all-star. And so uh, not surprised that uh, he figured in our three stars. I, there aren't many nights that Quinn Hughes has three helpers and uh, and the Canucks win, and he's not one of the stars. But I, I do think that uh, the guys, we went with the two-goal gang tonight, uh, all three of our stars with two-goal performances, Garland, Hoaglander, and Nylander. Uh, still, lots to get to. It was a busy night at the rink. It's a busy night here on rink-wide. So uh, we've got a stat that stands out. We've got some listener feedback. I uh, want to get to special teams, uh, particularly the penalty kill, which kind of flies under the radar a little bit. But boy, uh, it is coming along for the Vancouver Canucks and is becoming a, a real strength of this hockey club. They've got a lot of them, but uh, all of a sudden you can pile the, the penalty kill on as well. So we'll get to all of that in a thought or two on the Blackhawks, the Blues, and the Blue Jackets, uh, the three visitors that will round out this five-game homestand. Canucks are two for two on the homestand with the wins over Arizona and this one against the Leafs. You're listening to Rinkwide Vancouver. 
continuing to break down this 6-4 victory. Canucks over the Leafs, so they split their season series. Toronto with a win back on Remembrance Day at Scotiabank. The Canucks 6-4 winners here at home on Hockey Day in Canada. You know, we haven't spoken a lot about Elias Patterson, and again, this wasn't a great night for him, but he pulls out two points at the end uh, with the assist on what turns out to be the game winner and then uh, the goal himself. And he's just, Harm, he's become a goal-scoring machine now, up to 25 he has 12 goals in his last 10 games. He has scored in eight of those 10 games. So only twice in the last 10 has Elias Pettersson not found the back of the net. And he scores in bunches. He only had one here. Again, it wasn't his best night, but uh, he's closed the gap on Brock Besser. It's now uh, down to two. Uh, so there truly is a goal-scoring derby for the Vancouver Canucks. Besser still leads at 27. But Pettersson right there breathing down his neck, now up to 25 goals on the season. It's also interesting because... Maybe it would have been four to six weeks ago. I, I can't remember exactly when, but it wasn't too long ago that a lot of people were starting to get a little concerned about Pedersen's five-on-five five impact. I was sort of in the camp that I think it's just a matter of he needs better wingers, especially with Mikheyev and Kuzmenko at the time weren't playing well, and then you later saw Sam Lafferty on the line. But as soon as the lotto line has been put together... I think that has made it clear as day that what Pedersen really needed was just better talent to to work with higher IQ players because, yeah, whether it was Mikheyev or Lafferty, they had some of the speed, they had some of the size, but they just couldn't think the game at the same level as Pedersen. And of course, I do think that over the last few games, a lot of line has slowed down in terms of their ability to control play. It was a really rough um, night as a whole. Uh, for for that line, but in general, it's it's so abundantly clear now. I think we we can put the debate uh, that was happening about four to six weeks ago about is Pedersen truly able to drive a, a top line like a franchise center? You just need him to to actually have some top six caliber wingers to play with. Yeah, uh, he has uh, come back with a vengeance. Whether it's uh, driven, uh, the contract is behind it. Whatever, whatever's motivating him. Uh, he has been a force for the Vancouver Canucks, and uh, when the chips were down late in the game, he and that top end came through for the Vancouver Canucks. All right, let's get to the stat that stands out. I've got two of them, actually, on this night. With the win, the Vancouver Canucks are now 17-2 and in their last 19 home games against the Toronto Maple Leafs going back to 2006. It make that make sense when you think of where the Canucks have been in the last decade and the Leafs have been building this team to... You know, take a run at some playoff success. It hasn't happened, but they've had all this top-end talent, uh, the talent disparity in the last sort of five or six years, and yet, for whatever reason, when they come west and everybody makes the big deal about, oh, the start time and catering to Toronto, serve it up. Serve up more of these 4 o'clock start times. They seem to work for the Vancouver Canucks 17-2 and two in their last 19 at home against the Toronto Maple Leafs. You mentioned the 4 p.m. Uh, start time. I, I think Canucks fans should start embracing it considering the 17-2 and two record. You want as many Leafs fans as possible able to watch those games and uh, and see their favorite team get, uh, get beat by the Canucks. And you're right. It feels like, I don't know what it is. Every team around the NHL seems to have an opponent that they just can't win against that team. And it's sort of inexplicable. I mean, for a long time, the Canucks, up until recently with the New Jersey Devils, their record in uh, Newark out there was horrific at, at Prudential Center. And, and that was weird to explain as well, because it's not as if the Devils have been a wagon over the last 10, 11 years. And yeah, the Canucks have the Leafs number. 
And considering um, how much Vancouver fans hate Toronto, I, I think it's a it's a beautiful sight to see. <laughs> uh, the other stat that stands out: this was the eighty second game for Rick Tockett behind the Canucks bench, and this is pretty remarkable stuff. And you know, it's not a mirage. Those thirty six games last year clearly meant something in terms of setting his systems in place. The Canucks are 51-23-8 and eight under this head coach. That's 110 points from 82 games. So uh, who knows where they finish, but they're certainly on pace for that sort of neighborhood over this full season, but over 82 games with talking behind the bench, 51-23-8. That works. That works. <laughs> it's really wild. I mean, I was looking at that after the Arizona game. It's just sort of Unbelievable to to think about because I mean we yeah people would reference down the stretch in the 2021-22 season the Boudreaux Canucks playing at a hundred plus point pace but this is different to do it over 82 games that's um, a full season of course I think it's worth mentioning that in the early part of Tockett's sort of initial tenure he also didn't even have um, the best parts to the best pieces to work with. The the blue line hadn't been upgraded yet. Um, there were still nights when Sheldon Dries was centering the third line. Bo Horvat had been traded. It's not as if the Canucks were able to um, get Philip Peronik in the lineup a bunch. He only played five games for the team last year. So talk its impact at immediately being able to improve the defensive results going back to when he first took over last season. It's pretty, it was pretty crazy. Yeah, and Demko wasn't available to him for a while as well. Like, he had to yeah. go with the goaltending they had until Demko got back there. So you're right. I mean, that really is fairly impressive when you think about it. No, the roster that he's had to work with this year, but you're right. That encompasses uh, some of last year where he was trying to sort things out with this group. So, yeah, both of those stats absolutely stand out. Something like we like to do each and every uh, episode here after uh, Canuck Games, the stat that stands out. All right, a uh, little listener feedback here. Uh, lots of people responding to our questions on social. Uh, your biggest takeaways from the 6-4 win over the Leafs at Rinkwide Van. Ken says, Tockett's feeling was right. Kuzmenko's shift to draw the penalty gave the team momentum. They didn't look back from there. We touched on that. Uh, I don't know. Are we calling that a turning point in this game? I mean, I think we're right to recognize that uh, even though he doesn't figure in the scoring and didn't play a lot, that uh, you can't say Kuzmenko didn't do something in this hockey game because he did. He drew the penalty, and you uh, remarked earlier about uh, some of the creative uh, opportunities that uh, he was able to, to generate uh, with his skill down low. So uh, thank you, Ken. Joel says, Demko settled down and shut down uh, the third period. Power play was humming again, cleaned up the second. Great job and entertaining game. So yeah, I mean, Thatcher Demko won't love giving up four, but uh, you pointed out, started to regain that form. And, and I agree with you, rebound control was a whole lot better, I thought, in the third period. Ray says, Zadorov, the sheriff, much needed, and his presence was felt immensely tonight. Uh, was his presence felt immensely? I mean, you know, I got a little chippy there. Uh, certainly Tyler Myers getting it into the third period. Uh, and maybe Tavares with the memory of getting trucked last year here in Vancouver. But Morgan Riley with the cross check. And then uh, Myers had the headlock. He had, you have Tavares in a headlock and battling Riley, or was it the other way around? But an eventful night for Tyler Myers. But what did you think of Zadorov's night overall? I actually thought he was noticeable uh, a lot more than actually previous games and was physical. Not necessarily throwing huge open ice checks, but consistently giving guys bumps along the wall. I, I thought he was heavy and, and hard to play against, exactly the, the type of way um, Talkett wants some of his um, bottom four defensemen to play. 
And we also saw, I thought, some pretty entertaining um, rushes with him carrying the puck. I thought um, he also had a great moment. Nylander was controlling the puck near near the point at the top of the uh, offensive zone. And um, Zadorov, just using his long reach, was able to poke the puck away. And it exited the zone and helped relieve some pressure. So uh, I, I thought he had a pretty effective game overall. Uh, Graham says, team is able to rein in their emotions when situations become challenging. Uh, Thatcher Demko talked a little bit about that. Myers played well. Uh, he talks about the headlocking one leaf and punching Tavares. Says that was awesome. Uh, and the final uh, input here from our listeners is going to go to Jules, who says, the penalty killing, shutting down the Leafs, a high-end offensive talent, and keeping the Canucks in this hockey game and thanks, Jules, because that segues into something that I know you wanted to talk about, Harm. The penalty kill officially goes five for five on the night. Canucks go two for three on the power play. So they win the special teams battle, even giving up uh, the shorthanded goal to Mitch Marner. But that penalty kill, five for five. And I saw you tweet out uh, late in the game that, well, you've got the number in front of you. But over this last little stretch, like they are right up there among the league's best in the penalty kill, which is remarkable when you think how much time and energy we all spent talking about the struggles of the penalty kill over the last couple of seasons. Yeah, since December 20th, exactly a month uh, from the Saturday game against the Leafs, they've been operating at 87.5%, which is tied with Carolina for third best in the NHL. There have been a few differences at play. I think for starters, you have to recognize that the goaltending over this um, last month, especially in the PK, has been really strong because the Canucks underlyings in terms of cutting down on shots and chances against shorthanded have definitely improved, but they're not necessarily like top five in either category. And I think goaltending is, is why they've outperformed um, some of those shots and high danger chance against numbers. But beyond that, I mean, just watching them, I think Teddy Bluger's had a massive impact on the, on the penalty kill. When he first came back from injury, if people remember talk it, slowly introduced him back into the PK, wasn't always used as, as the first PK or over the boards. His usage has, has skyrocketed. And, and that's really been the type of player that Bluger has been earlier in his career where he's been a heavy PK minutes eater and his results have typically been stellar. So we're seeing the best of Bluger on the PK. Joshua's minutes have skyrocketed. That's a player that Tockett has highlighted uh, many times going back to the start of the season. Hey, Joshua's really effective on the penalty kill. And uh, over that over this last month, Joshua's the second most used Canucks forward on the penalty kill. Miller's been used a lot less on the PK deployment-wise, which is interesting as well because they used him a ton early in the season. But over the last month, he he's seventh among Canucks forwards in PK ice time. Um, There's a shift in the third period where Bluger was just sort of tying Nylander up against the boards and that really stood out to me in terms of just how how many shifts Bluger has where he either wins a draw and gets a clear or um, there will be a situation where he sees a forward vulnerable and will just pin the player against the boards, help create a sort of 50-50 battle, connects, regain possession, get the clear. He's had a lot of key moments like that. And of course, on, on the back end too, you're, you're, you're adding a piece like Zadorov. Um, Susie coming back is having an impact. So it's, it's awesome to see considering uh, how disastrous his PK was just 12 months ago. Well, and against the Leafs, try this one on for size. Ian Cole 
six minutes and 27 seconds of shorthanded ice time, uh, far and away, like two and a half minutes more than anybody else on the hockey club. Now, uh, Quinn Hughes took some penalties, Philip Hironik took some penalties. So, you know, that affects obviously their ability to spot other guys. You got defensemen in the box. And I will say, remember, we talked about it briefly. There's so much that went on, but the Bertuzzi no goal led to a scrum. Hughes was getting a cross-checking penalty, but then Hironik and Riley get coincidental minors. Remember that it's 3-3 at that point. The Canucks are, are reeling. And I thought that was really important that Morgan Riley had to spend two minutes in the penalty box. They get a power play. And Mark Giordano, who has run power plays in the National Hockey League, but he is slowing down and he's starting to show his age. They didn't have their point guy. And so I thought that was, uh, you know, maybe a, a break for the Vancouver Canucks that, while Philip Peronik's important for the Canucks, uh, certainly the Leafs would have loved to have had Morgan Riley out there on the power play in that instance. He still had his 10 shots on the night, but credit to Ian Cole logging a ton of shorthanded ice time. And, you know, he's just kind of quietly gone about his business. Uh, one of the many pickups that has helped this hockey club this season. But uh, that is fascinating to see where their penalty kill has come from and where it has been this past month. All right, just some closing thoughts here. Such a shame that... You know, a game against the Blackhawks uh, on Monday. It had been billed since draft day, really, when the schedule came out. And then Connor Bedard went first overall, the North Van kid. Only one trip for the Blackhawks to town this year. And then we saw a couple of weeks ago a broken jaw against the Devils, and he will not play. So I'm not sure how you sell a Blackhawks game in January without Connor Bedard harm. Jason Dickinson coming back with his new contract. He's having a fine season for them. But uh, what might have been and what will be are two very different things without the star power of Connor Bedard on Monday night. Well, it's no wonder Trancer asked me to cover that uh, Blackhawks game <laughs> on Monday. <laughs> <laughs> Boris Kachuk and the Chicago Blackhawks are coming to town. They haven't played since uh, Friday night, so they're going to be well-rested, beat the Islanders uh, in overtime. Look, they pushed the Canucks in that game before Christmas in Chicago that was back-to-back -back for the Canucks, and the Canucks didn't play all that well, but uh, had enough ultimately to, to win. But yeah, we're all going to have to wait uh, at least another year for the hometown kid who you know, has lived up to the hype. I mean, that's the that's the disappointing thing. Like, Connor Bedard has been everything that everybody had hoped he would be, particularly the Blackhawks, and uh, we won't get a chance to see him in person here on Monday. But what an opportunity for the Canucks to to make it three for three on the homestand and just carry on with this momentum towards the All-Star break. Absolutely. And anytime you play a bottom feeder, and I made this point, uh, I think it was after the Seattle rink-wide with you when we were sort of teeing up... Uh, the Saturday game against San Jose, where against a team that seriously lacks um, scoring talent, if if you score within the first 10 minutes, like the Canucks have really consistently done this year, um, like they did uh, tonight against the Leafs as well, that's just going to kill any of the hope that they have because now that team is trailing and they don't have the offensive weapons. You can put that type of team to bed really early, but the longer it's a 0-0 game, the more that that team is going to build confidence. And, and if they get the first, like they're just going to park the bus. So I said it ahead of that San Jose game, and that was, I believe, a, a game where the Sharks scored first and the Sharks ended up winning the game. If the Canucks get the first goal, it's pretty much a lock that they're going to win that game. That's The start is really what I'm going to be looking for. 
Well, the Canucks have uh, beaten the bottom feeders. They've beaten some of the top teams now. You don't get to top spot in the overall standings without taking care of business on most nights, and they've done that. 31-11-4 are the Vancouver Canucks after the 6-4 win against the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, a fun night of hockey. Uh, hopefully people enjoyed this episode of Rinkwide. I know I enjoyed uh, your insight. Always fun getting you on the program, and we look forward to the next time, and hopefully uh, it won't be uh, before too long here. So uh, for Harm, this is Jeff. Uh, Thanks so much for listening to another edition of Rinkwide Vancouver, brought to you by Betway.